On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Chris Ayeva. He is the head of data science at Anheuser-Busch. We're going to be talking about a couple of interesting topics with him centered around what he is doing. He's building a data center of excellence, but really diving deeper and talking about some of the challenges that he has to deal with behind you know, dealing with the alcohol industry, rules, regulations, but also where he's taking it. There's a lot of open roads for him on the experience side, on the merchandise side, and how they're tying that data back is going to be really interesting to talk to him. Chris, thanks for being on the podcast and uh, speaking to us. Hey, no problem. Thanks. uh, And hello to you and your listeners. I look forward to uh, having a nice session today. Absolutely. So ahead of data science at Anheuser Bush, I think most people will understand some of the context, but for everyone to make sure we're on the same page to provide some context and depth to the podcast, give us a little bit of idea of what your responsibilities are at Anheuser Bush and, and maybe if there's a particular area you're focused on there. Yeah, sure. So I sit part of the data center of excellence. It was newly formed and it's really designed to orient on our consumers, not only on the products they consume, but the experiences and the moments they have while consuming it. I sit over a data science team who's there to unlock advanced analytics and insights and foresights on our consumers. And I also manage a data ops team, which looks at data governance, standardization, and really the plumbing, the pipes, if you will, the infrastructure to connect the consumer experience back to our applications and then right back at them in terms of marketing activation. So it is a circular process, one that we try to add value to and uh, really be a data steward to our consumers and our company and our mission and vision. Awesome. Thank you for that. Uh, Sounds like a a few dynamic things, few challenges, few obstacles that you have to deal with. Because I know in our pre-call, you know, I want to touch on this early just to kind of set some context for somebody who might not be aware. But when it comes to rules and regulations governing, you know, each state, you mentioned there's some complexity. Can you maybe just outline what that means for you and your job and kind of some of the obstacles when the data science team is looking at data and and those uh, state laws and whatnot? Sure. So we are in a very heavily regulated space. And in short, there's a three-tier system. And the three-tier system is old from the prohibition where someone who's a brewer has to work through a middle person to the end consumer. Each state is different. There's evolving rules and rule sets, particularly with the recent pandemic. But it puts a challenge on us that unlike most data-focused companies or organizations, we may not be able to immediately collect who our customers are, which is a challenge. And uh, we want to have a relationship with our customers. We want to understand how to better serve them, how to deliver and have that sort of value proposition that there's a challenge due to compliance. Interesting. I like how uh, how you went back to Prohibition and mentioned that the pandemic... uh several decades later, starting to cause a, a bit of evolution. And that could be a whole separate uh, topic and episode. It could be. Yeah, absolutely. When you're then talking about experience, obviously there's some challenges like you know shipping alcohol and tying it into the consumer. I can see how collecting information on the end consumer, because obviously there's layers between you and how the alcohol gets distributed. There's got to be some constraints that you're trying to figure out, because obviously you mentioned you know, experience, trying to add value, uh, the data center of excellence. In terms of the charter of the team, of the remit, as it were, like, what is the main goal behind trying to bring that 360 view of a customer? Yeah, I think the goal is, is really, again, focused on that customer-centric focus 
And that when someone's having a product, as we'll call them like a consumer in this case, they're probably having it across different moments. And certainly there's some blunt force ways to market to them and articulate that value proposition. But what we're trying to do is make it more individual, make it more personal, really deeply understand. And through that understanding, we hope to you know make repeat consumers and we hope to improve. And uh, this is a, a wider experience. And that's what we're trying to do with, with our data, our data ecosystem, and really a relationship. And that relationship, the connecting tissue is the data. Sometimes it's the raw form. Sometimes it's interactive, like a sweepstakes or a concert or something along that line. So there's a lot of opportunity here, but I think it's all customer focused and uh, that sort of perspective. So, and as you're learning more about the customer, what is the end objective, I guess? So, if you're able to build the right persona, the right profile, what is it that your team is hoping to accomplish in terms of the overall business? I think probably the best way to describe it is alignment. So, if we have a customer, he or she may experience the product at different times. You know, I may like a Bud Light at a tailgater. I might like a premium beer, maybe at a night out. I may like a hard seltzer, or I might like wearing, you know, a Budweiser t-shirt. So alignment and understanding when, where, and why, and also articulating that benefit is what we would actually love to do. And then again, achieve some efficiencies in, in understanding and how to steward that relationship. So again, I, I go back to like sort of like the hotel concierge or the data steward. I know it's putting a little bit of polish. On something, but again, if you can ensure that good experience and you enjoy delivering that experience and you believe in your product, I think it's like a win-win proposition. Absolutely, and I guess where the challenge might uh, come up is yeah, obviously you mentioned you know, a hotel. You know, you're going to see where they are on the website, wherever they book, they still stay at your at a particular hotel. They swipe their card at restaurants, the mini bar, what they watched on TV, what they you know, all those steps and all those data points are there. I guess for you, as you've been describing it, if I'm enjoying a Bud Light at one o'clock on a Sunday, maybe at night, I'm going to have something different. You guys are obviously trying to you know, get to some kind of feedback loop to be able to determine when those consumer experiences are happening. I guess, what are some of the ways that you guys are trying to get to that data so you can actually build on the insight? Yeah, no, it's a really fair question. I think it's the reason why we really use advanced analytics so maybe like starting with like what we don't want to do. So like the first thing we don't want to do is be sort of like creepy with the data <laughs> and, and and sort of, you know, really try to just grab every little morsel and um, do something like that. And then we don't want to be in the other end of the spectrum. I mentioned earlier, like a blunt force approach, you know, just really hitting a consumer with a multitude of ads that aren't relevant, aren't contextual in their day-to-day life. So what we would like is sort of like that middle ground of sufficient understanding. And some of that could be deterministic, such as like proof of a purchase or some or affinity based. Some of it could be probabilistic using a model and then figuring out sort of the secret sauce, the right bit of enough information, enough incentive and finding that. I also think in an industry where a consumer has a lot of choice and that choice is expressed frequently, there's also some acceptance that, you know, what is a loyalist? How do we determine what is a loyalist? Are they going to try different things? And that's sort of the R&D piece here of understanding there might be something beyond beer. You may mix beer with wine. You may mix beer with an energy drink. 
so again, we're trying to do that and understand that and say what we are going to do and what we aren't going to do. And it's that middle spot. And I think it's more the data science that unlocks that. So you don't have to have a heavy hand either by being creepy or a blunt force approach. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that obviously seems like, you know, brand loyalty for you guys is key in terms of understanding when somebody, you know, is going to make a particular choice and complementary products, obviously, that they might want to consume before or after with, you know, however way, you know, somebody's preferences. When you're kind of looking at, you know, the other aspects of the business and partnerships to you know, help consume and understand some of that data, how much of your team needs to, you know, leverage some of those relationships? Because obviously there might be other data points collected that you guys are not able to get because obviously, like you mentioned, there's some rules and regulations of, you know, getting to that end user anyways. Sure. So there's certainly external partnerships and data partnerships, I think are becoming increasingly critical. Aspirationally, I think if you're on the data side, like sort of like open data, being able to share even amongst competitors, if you will, the, the data in a compliant way. I think what we've started to do in this approach of being customer centric is we have two sort of venues. One is a merchandise shop, beergear.com. It purveys different brands, different experiences, and a lot of consumers like that as part of their identity. It's a statement. Some of it could be functional, like a cooler or a cozy. Some of it's a little bit of swag that may accompany like an event or um, another you know, on-premise type moment. And we're also investing more in our loyalty program so that we are going to incentivize purchases and then provide a reward for that loyalty. It could be, uh, again, another event. It could be the experience. It could be a community. It could be certain venues where you're tying other common folks who are experiencing our product, maybe with a sporting event. The benefit to me on, on the data side is these are awesome data points because a consumer is providing their consent on, on how they want to be engaged. They're self-authenticating who they are and, and how they want to participate in the program. And they're also providing their data. And that's the trust aspect to say, hey, I'm telling you I have this preference. And the reason why is maybe I want benefit. Maybe I want more offers. Maybe I want to know in advance. So these have become data-rich sources. And what we're trying to identify and link is can we take you know a data source from a merchandise and develop a hypothesis and say someone who has just spent you know a, a couple hundred dollars on on a bar set are they a consumer and how can we learn from that? So we're using data almost if you think of it as like a liquid or fungible asset to understand our consumers, but it may not be with our direct product that other CPG companies have the benefit of understanding. So they're somewhat proxies, but proxies in a deterministic and probabilistic way. It's certainly different because obviously, you know, lots of direct consumer oriented companies can collect tons of data points, right? And you're obviously dealing with a little bit of that uncertainty. And you mentioned, you know, machine learning and in terms of leveraging machine learning to maybe better understand the consumer. I guess, to what degree do you see that impacting like your team, your, your mission? And to what degree of confidence, like, is that something that you're looking at? Because obviously, with limited data points, you're, you might have to make some trade-offs. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a constant challenge. At the same time, I don't think it's a, necessarily like a big data type problem. 
I think it's really taking some of these technologies, if we were just talking about machine learning and saying, hey, you know, in order to understand larger data sets, can we use some unsupervised techniques, which allows for personalization to understand how people may cluster together or what sort of characteristics really drive behavior or drive affinity. And then I think on like the supervised learning perspective, you know, you have to express what is the measure of this relationship and probably the best and most complete and hardest to get is a customer lifetime value. Mm -hmm. And then once we understand that, we can understand the value of that relationship and do a better job of providing the right product at the right time. And in actuality, you're just offering up a better experience. So we are using data science. We're also using a lot of descriptive statistics. And I think what's maybe the fun part is just generating hypotheses and saying, okay, let's test and learn from this. And um, if we land on something that's a good customer experience, awesome. If we find out that you know we're not doing the right job, then we pivot to value. So we're developing, we're very nascent, but I think we have like a strong North Star of where we want to go and how we want to do things. And again, I think once it becomes iterative, it's not only iterative from our perspective, it's the customer. If they get rewarded for having these great experiences, they're going to come back, right? And that's a loyalty factor. Absolutely. I was curious, how long do you guys, when you're, you know, obviously it sounds like you guys need to do a lot of testing and, you know, setting up those hypotheses and kind of collecting a, a sample. How long does a typical test run for you? Yeah. So we work off a two week sprint cycle. I would say minimum is probably two sprints. We will acknowledge that a lot of our business is occasion based. So it may be a holiday. Like, you know, we don't know. If this Memorial Day, is a, it's a sign of summer, it's a holiday that's sort of solemnly celebrated in its own right. And also, is it a, as a marking point that you know, we have the pandemic behind us? So one of our challenges, we know that that trigger, that date is, is very important and we want to win that occasion. We don't know if the decisions to win that occasion happens on Memorial Day or if it happens beforehand. So we're constantly sort of testing and learning, but we're also sort of savvy that there's some cultural influence and external factors. And um, so it's tough to say, like, what's a minimum test? Sometimes it may require a year-over-year type look at a minimum, or we may have to set up test and learns. We're actually marketing or adding controls or holdover sets to really build towards the larger occasion, which is interesting because it's more of a roadmap. It's more of a strategy to be there at the right time, right place. Yeah, quite interesting. Cause I, you know, as you're mentioning, you know, let's say Memorial Day and you're trying to figure out whether, you know, somebody makes that decision, you know, in the store or they made it a week before when they're making their shopping list. And I was just thinking, geez, something like weather, you know, this weekend, the weather will spike up, you know, wherever you're living and you're like, hey, I, I just want to barbecue. And all of a sudden that'll... <laughs> That'll drive a decision. And, and it's interesting because obviously I'm sure, you know, barbecuing and beer, we all know go really well together. So yeah, I just was trying to think through like, man, trying to capture that understanding of that consumer behavior is very nuanced because there's so much that's happening offline and the variables are, are many. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, weather is a perfect example. You know, I was, it was a couple of years back and I just told the story. I was at the Army-Navy game in Philadelphia. And I didn't have tickets, and I was really at a dive bar. And uh, the Eagles were doing well that year. I'm not an Eagles fan; I'm a Dallas Cowboys fan. But I was talking to the bar owner, and she was telling me that, like, if the Eagles make it into the playoffs, like, it's six figures for her. 
right? Because it's like this bar right by the stadium. And and she's like, if they make it to the Super Bowl, I'm going to get these momentous events. These are like, you know, a holiday. It's like, you know, Black Friday or something or Cyber Thursday, whatever they are. And it dawned on me that like someone's fate, and I forget who, you know, would not make the playoffs, but like her fate for the next three years is tied to Eagles making the playoffs. And that sort of resonated with me is how do we find those hidden insights and how do we position ourselves so that our consumers always sort of win, right? So if you planned a a barbecue and you were going to pick one of our brands that lends itself to that, but you know, it it ends up being like hurricane season or something like that. (laughs) What do we know the consumer likes when they're stuck inside and what type of buying behavior do they do? We would like to be able to position ourselves on both sides of the equation so that we're always delivering no matter the weather occasion, right? And that's where we want to be. Same thing with these events like playoffs or other type occasions. How do we win them and win in any direction? Almost like hedging and investing, right? Like building a portfolio to understand where the consumers will go. And obviously people aren't like robots. They they have fractions and that's where the segmentation comes in. Understand which segment is going to go here, which segment's going to go there. So we're nowhere perfect. We're nowhere where we need to be. But I think keeping that framework to understand that, to your point, whether it's weather, whether it's a playoff schedule, whether it's a certain moment in your life, like graduation or or something like that, how do we win that occasion and offer up a really good product experience? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, the Super Bowl is, you know, a prime example of, uh, you know, advertising. I mean, you guys obviously buy spots, you know, quite fondly remember many of the uh, ads that are produced. When you're looking at something like at an event, it could be the Super Bowl just for context, and you're trying to establish, you know, that 360 view. I know we were talking about merchandise and I was just curious, like, is there ways that you guys are trying to tie merchandise to those events and those experiences that people are, you know, involved in at the time to build that better view? Yeah, I would say the answer is yes. So I think directionally, if we were sort of to use like the cookie crumb approach, right? Like how do we pick up different data sources? So there's different data types, different data signals. And the most elegant approach would be tying in not just sort of like one data set, but multiple data sets. And some of the data sets may have different purposes. They may be there to you know, prove or disprove. But what we're trying to do now is if we say there's like four Vs and big data, volume, velocity, and then veracity, I think the variety, like the fourth V, leads to the hidden fifth V of value is that having more data sets and not necessarily being incestuous that we're just focused on sales, 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 and picking up those other indicators may make us allow us to make better decisions and also iterate, right? Like course correct along the way so that we're able to make sure that we're delivering the best capability and best performance possible. Interesting. I mean, you guys are a global brand. I mean, <laughs> biggest in the industry. And when you're looking at the global implications, and obviously, you know, I think right now in our context, I've, I've, we've been relating everything to the US and some of the complexities here. When you're maybe dealing with your counterparts outside the country, or maybe it's your, your responsibility, how does that data overlay? Are there signals to be obtained in terms of consumer behavior or within you know, the particular industry that you're in? Is it more geolocalized that you guys really can't see those tendencies? We are a global company. It's interesting. And I should say, when I talk about our team, we have a consumer data squad that operates out of Brazil. They do a brilliant job. 
And we have some data scientists who we partner with there. We also partner with other zones. So AB and Bev has different zones. And some of the data due to compliance and other reasons, we don't share the data. I would argue we share best practices. We share guts of different models. And I like to use the term copy and paste. If we can learn something from you know, someone in Europe and we could copy and paste that model or that insight, copy and paste is really helpful. It could also be really bad. So we are looking at you know, global approaches. We know that some of our brands are focused regionally or focused on certain ethnic preferences. So we're absolutely about learning from our perspective cross-owned or cross-culturally. I've always been interested in like the tourist idea that if someone flies from Heathrow to the U.S., how would we, you know, hey, welcome to America, here's a bud. I think that's like an interesting use case. But we are definitely learning best practices. And going back to experiences, it just reinforces that consumers in Asia consume beer differently than consumers in North America. Consumers in the United States drink differently than Canada. I think understanding how, why, and what sort of behaviors are like culturally universal and foundational that's sort of like a, a higher level piece, but it's something that we uh, definitely acknowledge and try to do. The data, not so much now. I think the processes, the guts of the models, and some of the frameworks are definitely shared across zones, and it builds collaboration, and it builds scale and growth, to be honest. I was going to ask you one last question because uh, it just kind of came to mind was, I guess, are you involved in like understanding product acquisitions, like in terms of, hey, you know, you're seeing trends, you're seeing, you know, preferences in people's, let's say in the US, you know, their enjoyment of a certain type of beer. Is that a signal to a corporate, you know, business aspect of the company? Is that something that you guys are involved in? Or is that just completely separate to what potentially your team does? When you say that, do you mean like an M&A type strategy? Yeah, M&A, you know, acquiring a you know, different beer brand because you're, you're seeing a particular trend. Is that something that falls no. within... It's an interesting question. I don't think it directly falls. I don't know if some of our analysis would support that. I do sit in the marketing department. Sure. We do work closely with a consumer insights team. So they're more focused. I mean, I, I think the user way is maybe some of the, like the softer science aspects. Mm -hmm. And we'd like to better support them as an action arm for their analysis. But I definitely think positioning of our brands is something that we contribute to. And it, it is competitor-based, but we don't have a direct path or direct delivery for an M&A decision. I do think it's important. And you could look at our company's history. There are some large strategic acquisitions and partnerships, which has uh, drove us and it's made us the top brewer in America and top brewer in the world. Well, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, and the reason I ask that is obviously you guys have a different business model and I've had a number of people from data science on and you know, obviously as the you get more data product oriented companies. Obviously, there's different, you know, areas they play. And I, yeah, you're obviously definitely more on the marketing side, but with so many brands <laughs> and so many touch points and so much volume, I mean, you probably have a playground of uh, coming up with some amazing ideas to test. And I mean, the impacts, yeah, probably at an amazing scale. Yeah, and maybe just to pivot a little. I know this was focused, but I think like if you look at any. M&A strategy, like you have like current value and that's sort of easy to tell. Like it's probably just a cash flow. Sure. 
And then you have like future value, which could be like a discounted cash flow or like a future growth potential. And then I think there's this thing called synergy, like, you know, and they always talk about like, if you bought at a discount, you bought at a premium, what sort of synergies are expected? I think data science has like a great opportunity to really define the synergies and maybe talk about future growth or future cash flows. So some of the work I think that we've positioned on customer lifetime value, that if you were to look at a three to five year horizon, could be applicable to advising someone on an M&A strategy of you know, what we think the future looks like, what are the relationships? And if we define synergy as like one plus one equals three, and we say like cannibalistic forces are one plus one is 1.5, I think we could do a pretty good job of just not doing metrics, but also advising on what's the strength of these relationships? Where do we see it? And then like, what's the upper rail and what's the lower rail? So it's something that we could definitely support. And I find it interesting. Yeah, it's interesting because I, uh, you know, the conversation I have a lot with data science is, you know, MBAs are obviously, you know, they have their own place, but I'm talking to a lot of people who are having a dotted line to P&L and revenue decisions now. And um, I mean, somebody like you who is going to understand consumer preferences, is going to understand tendencies. I mean, I guess, you know, it's depending on the data and understanding a potential trend. And I guess it depends confidence in that trend. Obviously, like we've discussed, you don't have as as many data points as a you know, direct-to-consumer oriented company. But I would imagine just based on what you said, you know, if you're seeing a decision, you know, going a certain direction, you know, obviously, if you don't have the product, you might not know it. But comparing it to, you know, market trends, there might be other, you know, P&L oriented, revenue oriented, you know, uh, components to what this data is going to provide, you know, Anheuser-Busch in the long run. I think it's a fair point. I've often said this, you know, I've I've started a a second career here in the private sector oriented on data. I do think that, you know, maybe if we were just to use an analogy that if you were a shop owner, you could visually and personally sort of inspect the quality of your business, right? You could walk to the cash register, you could maybe, you know, count the inventories. More and more, the performance or not performance of your business is going to be represented by a data point. And I think both the science and the art, you know, whatever your functional area is, is how you could use that data appropriately. It doesn't mean that everyone has to be a data scientist. I do think, though, that some of the roles that we have now, like you'll see, in, you know, if you Google it, like a data translator, I hope that in the future, you don't need a data translator, right? Like someone who's running this can run their own models, interpret it, understand the sensitivity and render better decisions probably 15, 20 years, if you don't have that background, you don't have that competency, you're probably not going to be effective at your job. So I I definitely agree with you is what I'm saying, that I think there's more of this and there's different areas that you can help and maybe even drive like a greater value chain. Absolutely. Awesome, man. You've got a cool job. I hope you get to sample attender freebies. Yeah, <laughs> as much as possible is my answer. <laughs> when we're back in the office, I'm based out of the New York office, the CSO office. It's somewhere between the Flatiron District and Chelsea, West 24th Street. So I have a commute. We do have a beer garden nice. at the top of our building. And uh, you get to sample the product and understand it. Got to be focused on that consumer. So I have to drink the beer. Yeah, <laughs> you got to sacrifice for your job. I That's love right. it. Yeah. Thanks for being on. Thanks for sharing. If somebody does have a you know, follow-up question, is it okay if they connect via LinkedIn or do you prefer another avenue for the, someone to connect? 
Yeah, LinkedIn is perfect. That would be awesome. I, I would be interested in, in talking on this subject. I'd be interested in learning. You know, maybe just to close this out, it, it's sort of funny. I've been watching Clorox Bleach, and they've like set up this awesome sort of direct-to-consumer experience. And you know, I use it as a benchmark. I've looked at investor relations. I've looked at their chatbot. And uh, it's just interesting to me that if you can create an experience, and maybe it's a stronger experience with the pandemic and Clorox Bleach has more meaning, but if you can create an experience with Bleach, like we can create an experience with beer, I've used that as, as just like a proxy, as a benchmark to look over our shoulder and understand industry best practices. So uh, to me, like when you say sample the product, it's funny. There are a lot of great use cases, a lot of forward thinking, a lot of customer focus. So any type of communication I'd welcome and probably learn from. Absolutely. No, that's a great use case. And I could just imagine, I mean, beer and experience, honestly, like, you know, during this whole you know recording, I've been thinking about you know, all the experiences you have with beer and typically it's a good time. I mean, well, you know, not always, but typically it's a good time. You're <laughs> yeah. celebrating something, a group of people, a laugh, a restaurant, an event. And um, the social, like, I mean, we, I guess we could maybe a follow-up episode down the road is the social media aspect and that experience off, you know, online that's detached to the beer and getting people maybe used to that, right? So I think like when you mentioned Clorox with the pandemic, I could see people are trying to figure out how to make you know, disinfectants at home because there was a you know, shortage of wipes. But in the case of beer, you know, tying it into something. So, you know, a QR code gets scanned or, or something that generates that footprint is probably an amazing opportunity for you guys as an entire company. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, I know we've had an emphasis with packaging in terms of CSR. And that look, I think there's a role of packaging with augmented reality. There's a possibly even... And again, this is all sort of hypothetical. There's nothing particular in the works. But even like blockchain, to maybe understand what sort of ingredients and where they came from that went into your beer, how it arrived, and folks maybe making more value-based decisions, maybe not even on taste. It could be that, hey, I, I really like this product because it was delivered carbon neutral. I'm supporting a green farmer, you know, and with buying this. So there's probably a whole bunch of statements, a whole bunch of room to explore. But we're back to it, like it would be data that would, in the end, or data and technology that, in the end, would really sort of say, is this sort of feasible, desirable, and then is it a viable business model? So uh, it's interesting. Yeah, I think, and I don't know how far this is in the works for you guys. I'm sure somebody plenty smart is thinking about it. But it, I was just thinking, as you go down the grocery aisle and you're down the beer aisle, I mean, all of our phones have a you know AR kit. If you, you know, any device you have, as you're walking down the aisle to be able to hover over a you know one of your beers and see the ingredients how it was brewed what does it pair with as i'm going through because sometimes i'm you know my wife's like we're having this you know i typically like three or four beers and she's like are you sure it pairs well and i'm like yeah why not and uh <laughs> it'd be awesome to be like uh, I, you know, if you're cooking this you know I, I don't know it's just interesting how the technology probably extends to uh data points because we're going to be pushing into some of that ar stuff and people want to learn more and I think it's where that gap's going to be filled. And even maybe to just you know walk that back a little bit, we're even thinking about our value chain. So imagine if you work at a restaurant and you know you're a server or you work behind the bar, understanding the product that you sell. I mean, most bars that I go to, people take pride in understanding and they want to talk, and you know that's the whole point. 
and even giving someone who may be at the sales end, the point of sales end of our value chain, that sort of insight on why our product's different or what's differentiable. I mean, there, there's so much room to explore on this. But yeah, you can see how technology is going to play. You can also see how it affect other products out there. And you know, are you going to be positioned to be able to deliver that experience? Yeah, and it's interesting because when you're at a supermarket and you're like, I got to pick up a bottle of wine or something, and sometimes the store will have somebody that understands wine more, right? And obviously, probably a little bit more confusing for most people. I'm not a sommelier. I, I don't understand. Yeah, sure, I don't have the sure. palate. On the beer side, you have that less, which is an interesting opportunity because there's plenty of upside. Maybe it's just, uh, obviously, you know, a wine sommelier has a different role, a different recommendation for beer. Maybe it's a different uh, bar. But yeah, when you talk about the, you know, the sales aspect and the restaurants and you know, bars, I imagine, geez, even in a supermarket or where people buy beer, there's an education component that can only add to the, the metadata you guys are looking to collect. That's right. And add to their experience. Like if you pair well, then maybe you, you come back and if you don't, maybe you don't. But um, yeah, I, I think that's that whole value proposition and being able to do that across the board that it's not just like an end consumption. It's probably timed or makes sense with something. I mean, ideally, it would also be that you could offer a bundle. So if we understand, you know, purchase is a preference. So if we understand how consumers are buying our product with other products, again, we'd be offer a bundle so that either by ease or discount or, you know, even sort of, you know, hey, I didn't know that these three things go together. So those are some of the things that we're looking at when we start doing some of the market basket analysis is understanding, you know, we just can't think of our product in isolation. Absolutely. So cool, man. I think uh, tons of, I think, uh, dynamic things. I mean, uh, it's interesting. Once you get into the line and, you know, just on a side note, you know, I was coming onto this call and I was thinking through, you know, we had our pre-call and I was like, I am curious how they are using data. And I was trying to wrap my head around, you know, what kind of data, where is it linked to? And when you start actually diving and start peeling the onion back and you're like, man, there is so much road. I mean, you guys are a multi-billion dollar entity, but the amount of opportunity still ahead of you is insane. So, I mean, I hope you're having fun because it's... I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast would be like, he gets to drink beer and he gets to uh, <laughs> get found out where we're drinking. It sounds like a cool gig. So good for you. And uh, thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. No, I really, really appreciate it. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely. That's the end of this episode. Thanks for everyone for listening. Yeah, if you want to get back to Chris with any feedback, comments, we'll have his LinkedIn in the show notes. And uh, that's it for the episode. Two things I always ask for. One is please provide some feedback. You know, LinkedIn, you know, message me if you have comments, if you have recommendations for topics, leave a review of the podcast on your favorite platform. That's helping us get the podcast to organically grow. It's an amazing journey seeing the numbers climb. You guys are part of that. So thank you until next time. Thanks. 